we want to take the robot out of the people. We want people doing the things that they're innately able to do. Because digital workers are never going to replace people. But people are capable of doing so much more. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Greetings, Lead the Team superfans. We've got a great episode in store for you today with Jet Tarkov, who's the Chief Customer Strategy and Transformation Officer over at Blue Prism. Now, if you're not familiar with Blue Prism, it's the global leader in intelligent automation, which combines the power of artificial intelligence and machine learning to deliver digital workers or, or deliver a solution for digital workers where they take away the mundane task that human workers are overloaded with. And yes, we know about all being overloaded with, with mundane tasks and empowers those employees to focus on the profit and driving initiatives that only people can do. And we're going to dive into that, but my goodness, let's talk about Jet a little bit more. Jet has more than 26 years of experience leading global transformation initiatives that deliver positive results before coming to Blue Prism. He was actually head of transformation for BNY Mellon. And yes, you know those folks. And Jet has also served as the chairman of the diversity committee for one of the largest banks in Europe. And he's constantly involved in philanthropic efforts. He has multiple degrees in psychology and advanced training in business specialties from Harvard, London Business School, and the Thunderbird University out in Arizona. Jet, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Ben, thanks for having me. And listen, the way you read that out, you should probably come work for us in marketing over at Blue Prison. That'd be <laughs> awesome. We can talk Appreciate about it. that, my friend. Yes, we can. We definitely can. Appreciate now, it. we should talk about that later, of course. But y'all, I, I get on with Jet here, and there is this giant shark background that's kind of <laughs> terrifying with a big fish hanging out of its mouth. And then he lifts its lifts his cup as I'm asking about it, and it's got a big skull on it. So before we get to all this other businessy stuff, what is this shark here on your back on, on your backdrop all about? Oh well, this is a quick picture of me actually in a what they call a Neptune chainmail suit Ooh. sitting on the in a beautiful sandy bottom in the Bahamas, and I'm actually feeding Caribbean reef sharks. And there's a school of about 30 or 40 of them around. And this is a, oh. a little girl. She's only about 400 pounds and about six foot long. And uh, it's a great shot of her with her eye. The, there's a membrane that rolls back and it makes her eyes look white. And that's why they always talk about the sharks oh. pulling their eyes back. They really don't, but that's the what it looks like. So it's a great shot there. And the skull uh, mug you saw there in the picture when we were getting to know each other here this morning was uh, just kind of a motif that I have. It's uh, I think I was a pirate in an earlier life. So 
you know, between my dive gear has skulls on it. Uh, my motorcycle has skulls on it. So it's just kind of a thing that uh, is a fun, fun thing for me to do. And it gives my family plenty of easy things to find for me for presents, you know, when, at holiday time yeah. and birthdays. So. so how in the world did you get into feeding sharks? I mean, sharks to me, they can feed themselves. Do we really need a human being on the bottom of the ocean feeding them? What what kind of is like an adrenaline rush doing something like that? Yeah, it is, it's kind of that. I do a lot of technical diving as well. One of my best friends, we hmm. dive wrecks, deep, deep wrecks out in the Atlantic Ocean. And so this was kind of, there's sharks around those. And then we heard about being trained to be able to feed the sharks. So we got turned on to that. We've done it two or three times now. And uh, these are you know, these are, I guess, the easier ones to feed. And then we want to start learning how to do hammerhead sharks and then possibly tiger sharks. And then my ultimate would be someday to possibly be able to do outside of a cage and feed a great white by hand. Oh, my Lord. Okay. All right. So that now would getting, be the ultimate. I'm getting squeamish and, <laughs> and doing this. So I might get squeamish when the day comes if I ever get outside. I've seen a great white in a cage before. And they're monstrous, no doubt. And so we'll see what happens when that day comes. But wow. And then the whole pirate thing was that, yeah, I mean, where it's had you just that? that personal thing. It's just a personal thing. I like it. There's some characteristics about pirates. And, and uh, I've always joked that, well, I would be a good pirate, I'd be a nice pirate. But there's some things about, you know, being having courage and mm. uh, being a little bit of a swashbuckler, you know, taking risks and, but managing those risks that I think, you know, also kind of articulate a little bit about how I've been with my career and, you know, going places and working in areas that a lot of people may not necessarily think about doing. Um, and I think that's kind of always done well for me. And, and I've, I've looked back at them and felt very blessed to be able to do those things. And I don't think I would have it. I not had some of those characteristics. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of, a lot in there for people to understand because there's something about being, I, I would like the, like the self-reliance or maybe the confidence that, Hey, I'm going to get myself potentially into a risky situation, a la a pirate, but I can rely on my skills and confidence and improvisation skills as a leader to navigate through the through the barricade absolutely <laughs> to be you know reminds me of the indiana jones mindset also sure. you know sure and, and there seems to be some humor at least in pirates oh. of the caribbean yeah well i mean yes there i i think that you know in anything when my one of my my friend who i dive with with the sharks he'll he would tell you right now that there's a, another picture that goes along with this one where there's three sharks, one's biting my elbow, one's biting my shoulder and one's biting on the back of my head. And all he can, he's about 15 feet away and he can hear me laughing through my regulator, my breathing regulator. And because, and when he asked me later, when we got up on the boat, he said, what were you laughing about when you had three sharks biting on you? I said, cause it's hysterical to me that they actually think they're going to hurt me cause they can't bite through the Neptune suit. Oh. And, but to me, it just felt, it was just hysterical that here they are. And they're, to me, they were like puppies. And again, it's also a way to relax you because they can sense your heartbeat. And mm. so 
you know, it's kind of like, you know, in business that, you know, in very, what would seem to be very stressful situations and the way that you handle those stressful situations, you know, finding a way to relax yourself so that you can take control of those situations and be in control as much as you can is very, very important if you're going to be a strong leader, because people are going to look to you in those situations to be able to help them navigate through that. And I think that's very important, you know, in any type of involvement is, is even when you're in a recreational uh, scenario, (laughs) feeding sharks, which is probably a pretty far out there on the spectrum. Wow. So this is the first time. So we're probably like 90 plus interviews in first time I've ever interviewed someone that's been attacked by three sharks and laughed about it and also took a business lesson from it. Well, I don't think I, I I don't look at these girls and I refer to them as puppies all the time because they swim around you. They run into you. They do all kinds of things. They're like little puppies when you're on the floor and you're playing with them and they're jumping all over you. And that's the way Mm. these girls act when you're feeding them and they're not biting you because they're trying to hurt you. They're biting you because they think you're, it's a test bite. They're trying to see if you're that fish that was on the stick. Uh, when I was. Okay. So they're not, they're not aggressive. They're just trying to see, are you it? And that's what makes, that's why I laugh. I'm like, girls, do you not know the difference between metal in your mouth and that nice tasty fish that was on yeah, the stick? Yeah, you don't was, taste very good. Yeah, I don't taste. And the metal doesn't really taste mm-hmm. very good at all. So there is something there about, you know, the difference between how do you handle those situations in that kind of a recreational environment? How do you handle situation in business and other life situations where, you know, unplanned for consequences come up and, you know, could be stressful if you don't understand um, yourself, your own emotional response, and how do you handle that when you can deal with it in a way that, uh, helps you get through it in a way that is positive and can mollify everything going on in the environment around you so that it has a, a strong outcome. And for me, it was awesome. They swam away. Everybody was good. The photographer was shocked. She got a great picture. Uh, everybody that was around me in the circle watching was like, oh my God, we've never seen that happen before. But yeah. you know, to me, I was still laughing. <laughs> wow. What a great image for people to keep in mind. I think you did a nice job of sort of painting an image for him. It reminds me of what my dad always tells me. He's a, he's a former public school superintendent. So he knows about swimming with sharks, <laughs> not, oh, not yes. in the literal sense, oh, yes. but, but he, but he would always say, Hey Ben, uh, cooler heads prevail. Sure. Cooler heads prevail. And you too, I think a couple of things that I hear is you really knew what you were getting into in that situation. So you were prepared and I mean, you had the right suit, you know, you, you had the right mindset and it sounds like it got pretty amped up when there were three and not one, but uh, it, it sounds like a really amazing experience that you can draw from. Um, let's, let's sort of get a little bit in this. So into your background, so looking at your background, I'm saying banking check, you know, BNY Mellon check. Um, then, then I'm seeing blue prism now blue prism sounds cool, but it seems frankly, it ain't banking, right? Banking to me is like a world of control of security of not sharky shark type situations. Now you're in this space of intelligent automation. 
And I, I had not really heard about that. Like I had heard of artificial intelligence and machine learning. You guys are combining the two in a very interesting way. And I thought, why this leap? Because this is a big, this, this sounds more like shark biting to me. So, sure. so, so maybe walk us through your mindset or whatever situation is in, in, in making that leap from banking into a more sort of entrepreneurial situation, it sounds like. Well, and so I started out my career, basically, I had a small consulting business when I was 25 years old and ran it for about eight years uh, and had everybody I hired were all retirees. Because I'm this young 25, 26, 27, 28, 29-year-old kid, and I was working for big companies like steel mills, paper mills, auto companies, and I didn't know anything, you know, compared to these very smart, very experienced people that have been working their entire lives and their entire careers. And so, um, you know, I had always had that kind of this thought model about how to get leverage this experience and these people. And so when I had my company and we were doing some amazing work for these folks, um, you know, it was, it was great opportunity for me to feel like, you know, how to really run a business and build a business. And then a friend of mine uh, called me one day and he said, listen, there's, there's a startup company that I think could really use your help. And it's called MCI Telecom. And MCI Telecom was the telecom company that was breaking up basically Ma Bell and AT&T yes. under, under Bill McGowan. And so I went and joined them and spent five years with them in lots of different jobs because they were growing so fast. Yeah, I don't even hear, it's hard to hear them as a startup, but I assume they started up oh. at some point. <laughs> they they literally were and they weren't small when I joined them but they were still a, a startup and so I spent five years with them and started getting into the world of a lot of the quality efforts back in the day and um and then another friend called me and said you know G's starting this thing called Six Sigma and the Six Sigma craze was started with Jack Welsh and yep. Larry Bossidy and Larry was yep. over G at, Honeywell all those guys yeah yep. Yep. So, and I had a background in statistics and then was doing statistical process control with uh, MCI Telecom. And so I came over and was one of the first 26 quality leaders at GE. And so as I started progressing through this uh, and I left GE and I went to HSBC and started their Six Sigma and their, what we call operational excellence program. And then I traveled the world with HSBC. Then I went to Credit Suisse and did the same thing at Credit Suisse and then went to Sparebank and I worked in Russia. Um, and then I went to New Zealand. And so my career across the banking industry really was quite expansive and took me all over the world. I spent 12 years as an, as an expat, uh, worked mm. in some fantastic places, learned a lot about financial institutions, had a number of different roles. And then when I came back to the U.S. after being an expat for all those years and started working at Bank of York Mellon, I really got into the, I was a transformation guy at that point in my career. So banks would hire me at that point to really come in and look at how do we actually like really turn ourselves upside down and do a number of different things. And one of those things that I would work on was building this new, this thing that was really focused on automation. 
how do we automate ourselves? Now they do have big automation platforms, but there was this up, there was this upcoming new technology around robotic process automation, RPA as it's called. And Blue Prism was the one of the founding, it was the founding company. It's 21 years old now, but it was the founding company for RPA. Hmm. And I got to know them because we did a test on a couple of different softwares and they won. And so I hired the company to come into Blue, come into Bank of New York Mellon and to help us automate as much as we could inside mm-hmm. the bank. And we wound up having about a thousand digital workers working inside of Bank of New York Mellon. And we what, were what is a digital worker for those uh, listening? So a digital worker is the equivalent of a software human. And it can basically automate the tasks that people don't want to do and people shouldn't be doing in the first place because, you know, God made us a lot more creative, empathetic, uh, innovative, um, uh, just a lot of things that we can do better as a, we can be doing a lot more creative things and cool stuff that we unfortunately jobs are usually built and processes are usually built that require a lot of ad many types of things that get to be very monotonous, boring and laborious. And that's where digital workers can come in and do a lot of that stuff really, really well, really fast. And guess what? They don't get bored. They don't get tired. They don't take vacations. They don't get sick and they don't get COVID. Get so, no, they don't get COVID. So a digital worker is not a human. It is a like a series of automations. It's just a software equivalent. A software a equivalent software. to what a human could do. Correct. So you're, Correct. Are you actually making that calculation where the average human would be able to do, I don't know, 10 tasks? And if we're able to automate those 10, that classifies as one digital worker, or is it not that? So we can, we basically, what we try to do very simply, Ben, is we'll go into an organization and we'll look at, um, let's just talk, let's go to finance, right? We'll go to finance area, mm-hmm. a big company. And first thing we do is we sit down with the finance director, the CFO, and say, what do you want your people doing? What do you want them really doing? And we'll just have a conversation sure. And say, because, and, and then we'll ask them, well, what do you think they're really doing today? And you'll hear them talk about it. And it's really interesting because you'll hear those individuals start saying, oh, God, you know, we have to have them doing this stuff and this stuff and this stuff and this stuff. And then we'll say, what would you like them not to do anymore? And you get another list. The next thing you know, you just start creating this infinity diagram. And you very clearly can see those Every leader that I've ever met always wants their people doing all this cool kind of work, all this really innovative, creative stuff. You want to, we want them to be more strategic. Yeah, we want them to be yeah. more facing our customers. We yeah. want them thinking about new ways of doing things. They want them looking at the data and actually adding color commentary, really thinking about what's the numbers really telling us, not just spitting numbers out, right? And so what the software is then able to do is we can, as long as you can codify what you're yep. doing, yep. then the software can replicate that. And now with the ability to add machine learning in, the machine learning, what it does, it gives us the capability to make decisions. 
And when you add things like optical character recognition or computer vision, it actually gives the robots or digital workers the capability to read. You add chat capability, it gives the robots the capability to speak. So digital workers can actually mimic a lot of the same capabilities that a human has, and it's getting advanced and more advanced every three to six months because new technology comes in to allow that digital worker to mimic more and more. So there's a very simple phrase that we like to use, which is we want to take the robot out of the people mm. because we mm. want people, we want people doing the things that they're innately able to do because digital workers are never going to replace people, but people are capable of doing so much more. And what's really cool, the companies are really catching on to this are the ones that are actually pairing digital workers and humans together. So you're seeing, you're seeing a, a, a kind of, a, there's going to be this renaissance and it's just starting now where you're going to see this carbon and silicon based workforces coming together because organizations are figuring out one, it's really hard to hire people. It's hard to find them. Birth rates are going down. Yep. It's been going down for three years globally, not just in the U.S., just globally. They're going down. And so it's hard now to find people. It's going to be even harder in the next two generations. So, again, this is why it is kind of mm-hmm. a this kind of a labor force. This alternative labor force is really, really important. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download the simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. Yeah, I love that. And so it used to be the big fear is, oh my gosh, they're going to outsource me. They're going to out there. They're going to, they're going to automate my job. But your perspective is, look, man, there's so much work. That's not the right fear. That's not the right question. The thing is, we're not like to me, the bigger fear from what you're saying, and I believe I'm there with you is that you're not aligned enough with technology. Correct. And that you're not going to be there fast enough. And so you're going to suffer all these downstream consequences with more turnover, more cost, and you're going to be getting your butt kicked by the competition from a profitability standpoint, where if you get on board and become more proactive with how you're befriending your digital people, <laughs> your digital yeah. workers, yeah. Yeah. you're going to be able to have a have an edge there. What, what do you say to a leader who's like, look, you know, Jet, this sounds a little sci-fi, man. Uh, this sounds a little cyborg. What do you what What do you say to the leaders who just like I, I just like where do I start with this? this? This just sounds way too out there. Yeah, I mean, look, the reason why your question originally been is how did I get from a banking background into software is because yep. I I could see where this road was going to go. Quite honestly, second reason was. I wanted a career change. I wanted to do something different. I was at a point in my life, both career-wise, age-wise, 
you know, why do I feed sharks? Why I didn't need to feed sharks. I was perfectly <laughs> happy. Seem, sharks are not starving. I don't think. No, I was perfectly <laughs> happy being a scuba diver and diving on wrecks and really cold places around the world and doing all that kind of stuff. But I want to do something different. And yeah. when I got to a certain point in my career, I'd worked all over the world. I'd worked in a lot of super great banks that had great bosses and, you know, I, I just wanted to do something different. And this difference was I could see the need in the world for something different from a labor force perspective. I didn't mm -hmm. know what the answer was yet. I could see that Blue Prism had the beginnings of the right solution because I used it myself. I was, I saw the power of what, even the version, the software that I had versus the version that we have today. And the interoperability that the version we have today and the ease by which it can just scan mm -hmm. across any platform and the things that it's able to do. And it's going to continue to do even more uh, as future releases come out. But, you know, that's why I changed. And I think the way that I talk to executives is easier for me because I was there. I, I'm the one that had to have those conversations with my bosses, right? Mm -hmm. So I reported directly to the COO and, you know, to have mm -hmm. the conversations with them about, listen, what, what is our choice? So if you have a, if you have a cost problem, okay, then how are we going to, how are we going to save money? If we have a productivity problem, what's the answers for that? If we have a labor problem what's the answers for that so there's so many things that you when you have the ability to create solutions yeah. on a machine versus trying to create solutions through a manual process or a manual labor component when there's very few of those manual labor components now available because everybody's buying for them and the cost of that manual labor is going like this and I don't mean manual labor as blue collar. I'm talking yeah. about you and me and anybody. Sure. Uh, just human worker, period. You know, the because are going up in general. Yeah. Right. It's supply and demand, right? And so it's just a very, very expensive proposition. I actually, we find fewer and fewer people having a difficult time understanding the concept. What they have a difficult time doing is the, the use of technology of any kind is always difficult for an organization to understand how to get the most out of it, number one. Yeah. And number two, it's a change. And we all know how humans are with change. It's not necessarily our strongest yes. thing. And you're like, it's hey, I'm bringing my robotic thing. friends. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, I thought we were automating our factory. Now you're automating the, quote, knowledge workers or whatever. Yeah, so... I love that. And, but one of that's really resonating with me that you're talking about was, Hey, look, people want to enjoy their work more. People are mundane task, closing the books, sending the three emails, doing the same report that takes three hours to do every week. These things, we don't need to be doing those if there is a great automated solution. And I think people who have 
you see how much disengagement there is out there and how people, it's almost like Absolutely. people have just normalized. Well, work is, you know, I face this with people I work with is like, Hey, work is supposed to be exhausting and frustrating. And it's supposed to like, just suck your soul out. And then you retire one day and you can enjoy the fruits of your labor versus wait a minute. There's a solution here. If you can get clear on the work you enjoy doing, and more importantly, leaders, if you can get clear on what the work that your team enjoys working, if you're working in collaboration with tools and technology, like what Jet's talking about here, there's a whole set, there's like a whole nother level of work that I don't think, I think it's a big jump for a lot of leaders. I think, I think we're getting there. But like, if you go talk to some big techno, technological companies, they're probably a lot closer but you're, you seem like, are you, are you guys really trying to work with some of these more industrial companies that are? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. And you, you're, you're seeing more and more enlightenment. I mean, again, we have, we have trucking companies that are some of our best customers. We have, Whoa. Wow. Uh, okay. oh yeah, we have utility companies that are some hmm. of our best customers, hospitals, uh, I mean, telcos, banks. You know, insurance companies, you know, you, you'd be amazed and, you know, pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, you know, there is just a, it's a plethora of, of fields and industries that are using our platform and our competitors as well. Um, we're not the only kids in the game and we're, we're better, but you know, that's, that's always in the eye of the beholder, but, uh, we, we, we certainly appreciate what our competitors bring to the game as well. But, you know, again, I, I think that there's, um, at the end of the day, the, the automation, the way that automation is, is working now and the way it's going to work in the future mm -hmm. is, is 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 there to really create this unified workforce, right? It's using the best that digital workers can bring so that you can really unleash the potential of your human workforce because they are a scarce commodity right now. It's going to be even more so. It's going to be so precious that you need to make sure you're engaging them in the most important work that you can do. I like that. And question. that's really, really important. Really important. Yeah. I think you, I think I, I like that question a lot because it's a mindset shift for people. If you believe that, you know, grade A employee talent is a scarce resource, like really believe it at your core, then you're naturally only going to put them on the highest ROI delivering work task. But if you believe, Hey, you know, every employee is replaceable. They're a commodity. Get you out of here. We're going to get somebody else. Yeah, just get your just get your work done. Then you're not going to embrace the technology side of it nearly to the degree of someone else that is that's thinking about it the other way. No, I mean again, and good luck for you. Might be able to pull that off for in some businesses, some type of verticals for some period of time, but it's not going to be for very long. I mean, look. You just look at any of the recent surveys that are out. We watch them constantly because I'm a big believer in watching what happens with, you know, these the newer generations that are in the workforce. And I mean, you can read any magazine. I mean, they're telling you it's right smack dab in your face. 
Um, the new generations that are coming out of school, they'll tell you right now, they're not working for companies that don't have a strong CSR program, corporate social responsibility. They're not going to work with companies that have crappy types of jobs for them because they won't stay engaged. They're already switching jobs every two years. So that tells you something. I mean, you can just go down the lists of what the, how these new young people coming out, the difference in the way that won't, they won't take the kind of crap that people used to take <laughs> in their jobs. They, you know, yeah. take this job and shove it. Oh, yeah. that's their, that's their theme <laughs> song. I mean, that's just it. It just, they just don't wait around. Yeah. And, and to build on that too, one of the previous solutions was, Hey, we'll go to a lower wage co- uh, country and oh, yes. we'll, we'll go that route. And I think that in lots of ways, it that worked for 10, 15 years, or I bet we're getting to the point it now where works. that's not effective. Well, it still yeah. works. I mean, listen, I ran offshoring for many, many years. And it, what we're doing now with creating digital workforces follows the same pattern as we did with offshoring, right? When we did offshoring, we start out by saying, oh, wait a minute, that's a really scary place. Send something over there that's really simple to do and we'll test it. Yeah. And yeah. so we did. We sent over a really simple little bitty piece of work, like a task, not even a process, like a mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. fill out this form, but only fill out the first three lines and let's see if you can do it. And then fill out the half a page and then a full page. And then we want you to fill out and send it back. I mean, it's like really crazy stuff we used to do, right? Mm. And then we said, okay, now you did that. What we want you to do is we want you to send it back to the customer directly. So, I mean, we did all these steps to go through the maturity yeah. to see whether or not we could decide whether or not the talent was competent enough to do the full job, right? Same thing we're doing now with customers. Customers will start out with robotics, RPA, they'll start out and they'll say, okay, we'll give that robot this really simple thing to do because we don't trust it. They, for some reason, it's really funny. Customers, a lot of customers think that robots have free will. They might go rogue. <laughs> well, guys, it's software. They can't well, really- I'm hoping 50 that. years from now, someone's not listening to this and being like, yes, <laughs> they've taken over now. Yeah, well, we hope that, you know, Skynet doesn't come about. We're not big believers in, you know, we still believe the power of the humans that we will make be able to make the decision between right and wrong. Uh, And so, yeah, we don't believe that Skynet will be coming and Arnold will be riding on his Harley and doing all that stuff. And but uh, yeah, I I think, again, there's there's there is a a like pattern for the evolution maturity of. Mm what happened with offshoring. But again, look, even the countries where we used to go to, to get all this available labor, the interest, the um, acceleration of wage rates and all those kind of things that we went there for labor arbitraging is again, it's starting to move away and their talent is, is even more and more difficult to find. Their turnover is still horrendous. So again, we have a lot of issues that is just really, really tough to combat. And there is incentives in a lot of countries for return shoring or what we call digital shoring now through like digital workers makes a very compelling case. 
So a leader listening and saying, man, just blowing my mind here. But like, hey, this this is worth exploring. Um, what is a first step if they're like, you know what, my company is probably going to laugh at me when I mention this. Uh, but they're like, I want to do something today uh, that I can do to actually make some progress in this space. What do you recommend them doing? Well, first off, they can call Blue Prism or they can look up okay, blueprism.com yeah. Blue on the internet and reach mm-hmm. out to mm-hmm. us and happy to have a conversation. Um, you know, they can reach out to me directly. I'm sure you guys can find a link for me on LinkedIn and, you know, all those kind of fun places as well. Yeah, and we'll have all that in the show notes for sure for people listening. You know, like, hey, I want to sure. see what Jed and his, his, his pirate crew. Sure, absolutely. Crew. Uh, you'll see the certification on my LinkedIn page. So, <laughs> Shark feeder. Have, have, a, have a little fun on there as well, even on LinkedIn. But, and look, the, the I've always encouraged people. I mean, when we started back in 2015, there wasn't a lot of, you couldn't really look RPA up online. There wasn't hardly, there was zero out there at all. There wasn't a lot of people. I was customer number 30 in the world for Blue Prism. So that just tells you how few there were. So, when I had to go out and do my bibliography research on, hey, who do I go talk to? They sent me to Coca-Cola, a bank in, uh, in uh, the UK, and uh, I can't remember who third was. Uh, there was someone else that I went, and, and that's how I built up my list. Now we have over 2,000 customers. So, you know, wow. somebody says, who could we talk to? They'll, we'll ask them now, like, well, what, what industry are you in? Mm-hmm. So then we'll, we'll send them to their industry. And then if a customer says, I'd like to see people outside my industry have done really, really well. And then you can always send them to like the big customers. So, and again, it's, it's super simple. And I always, I always, always encourage people to, you know, go talk to as many people as they can that have been on this journey that understand how to do it well, understand how tough it was to get started. Cause you're going to have a lot of naysayers, the people that are uninformed and uneducated, um, and again, yeah, so, it's just so, about knowledge. So I, I, one of the things I hear is about, hey, look, this is new to you, but ignore, that recognize is probably new for the rest of your company. Sure. And don't expect to be embraced when you start talking digital workers immediately. No, no, not at all. I mean, again, this is not for the faint of heart. I, you know, I, I was chief transformation officer four or five times over and, you know, one of the things that I always tell people, I mm-hmm. said, look, if you're going to go this route, the first thing it takes is to take the first step. And that requires courage. You have to have courage to take the first step. And they said, well, what else? And I said, well, the second step you really need, the second characteristic that I've always found and I admire in people is tenacity. You know, mm-hmm. you need that stick to itness. You know, things are going to get tough. But if you have the courage to take the first step, that's the hard one. The tenacity is the one that you've got to stay in the fight. You know, not every day is going to be bad, but it's going to feel like it sometimes because you're going to have multiple bad days, but they're not all bad. They won't be all bad. You just have to have the tenacity to stay with it. Just stay with it. Hmm. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing, you know, though, if you have those two things, you can really do some amazing things in both your career, but you can also do amazing things when you're in a job. You know, just if you're going to take on something like I want to, I think my company could do really well with the digital workforce. Okay. 
You probably can't. I haven't seen a company that doesn't do well with the digital workforce. You just have to stay with it. So you get through those early days when you're helping people understand the power of having the combination of a digital workforce working with your human workforce. Because the human workforce is very precious. It's, a, it's, it's something that we need to protect even more so now. We used to say it all the time, right? Oh, our most important asset in our company is our people. Well, guess what? We probably should have paid a lot more attention to that than what we did because we always thought we we're going to have lots of people. Well, that's not so true anymore. We don't. Software is easy to buy. It costs a few thousand bucks. You put it on a server. You put some programs in it. You teach it how to do this work. And you can do that over and over and over again. That's really simple stuff to do. But you, you don't have babies like that. You don't grow them up like that. And the world yeah. is saying, we can't really, we don't have that many babies. Like I said, the birth rates are going down. Yeah, the birth rates coming down. And from a company standpoint, it takes time, money, effort to really nurture your own, own leaders, or you pay a huge yeah. premium to bring new ones in. Absolutely. And so, I mean, I love one of the themes that's emerged here of, you know, finding ways to leverage technology to enhance your, your, your worker workforce. And also understand what your workforce likes doing, what your team likes doing, and then find you know identify these tools that that they can use to work work more effectively. Man, I've got you know what we did not get to most of the questions today, Jeff. <laughs> I apologize for that. So I guess we'll have to do a part two. But but before we uh, close it up here um, and send you on your merry way, Jeff, what? What's a parting thought that you'd like to, to share with the listeners today? Well, I, since we did talk a lot about, you know, the digital workforce and, you know, we did touch on some of the career things. I, I would just say that I am super optimistic about, you know, the, the, the world that's before us and what mm. we're going to be able to do, despite what we may see going on in one of the former countries I used to live in and, you know, some of the leader there and, and that whole mess. But I, I do believe that, you know, we're on the cusp of some just some extraordinary uh, times and the things that we're going to be able to do. And, you know, with the combination of a digital workforce and a, and a human workforce and the way that's going to, you know, really truly unleash people's potential on the job to be able to really do some things that they've really been hampered not to be able to do because we've had them doing so much of this, you know, unfulfilling, unengaging, you know, admin kind of stuff you know, that they don't really need to be doing. And we there's better ways of getting that done. And so it makes me super excited. It makes me really happy. I made the career choice, you know, later in my life to move into this field full time and to help other organizations realize what I saw in the company where I started this as customer mm -hmm. number 30 for Blue Prism and now helping, you know, other companies um, see the same kinds of things that I did, even in a more rapid pace than we were able to because the advancements in technology. And so I'm super stoked every couple months when I see something else come out that I'm going, wow, we can now we can do this and we can make the digital workers even that much smarter. It just to me, it, I, I can't wait. I mean, it just is a very cool place to be. Yeah, I love it. Great place 
to end on an upbeat voice of optimism for the future and also really a call to action for people to wake up to this possibility, their companies and for their teams and for themselves. Thanks, Jet. You're more than welcome. Happy to be here. Thanks, Ben. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.